Our sermon text is from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading, to the, he was reading the, from the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and, he, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through and preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. All people are like glass, grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the fields. Amen. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's look at this passage now. We're, we're in Acts chapter 8. And we've been studying the book of Acts all winter. This book is a, a great book. It's filled with all kinds of amazing stories about how the Holy Spirit worked in the early church. And today, we're looking at a story that specifically shows us about how the Holy Spirit works in reaching those people who don't know Him. Um, and to me, this is a really encouraging passage. I hope it's going to encourage you all here today as well, because uh, you know what it's like. We live in a city where there are a lot of people who don't know Jesus. Um, a lot of us, we have close friends that don't believe. Some of us, we have family members that don't believe. Maybe there's people here this morning that don't believe. But um, this passage, at its heart, it shows us God's determination to save all of His children. It shows us about how the Holy Spirit works powerfully both through the preaching of His Word and through ordinary Christians like you and me. Ordinary men and women working to preach that message. And so that means this passage today as we're going to study it, it is both very encouraging, but it's also a little bit challenging. It's encouraging because it shows us just how determined God is to save every single one of His people, but it's challenging because it tells us that also He desires to use us, that he wants to use you in this rescue mission. And so that's what I want us to see today. Three quick things. I want us to see 
how the Spirit leads in evangelism, how the Lord uses His people to gather in His children from the ends of the earth, and then how the gospel fulfills our deepest desires. So those are the, those are the points. So let's first, let's talk about how the Spirit leads in evangelism. Uh, this story is about a very specific moment. It's that moment when Philip comes up upon this Ethiopian eunuch. Now, you might not know, Philip was one of the first deacons that got installed. He's one of the leaders of the early church. And we're looking at this story where he walks up on this guy who is reading from the scroll of Isaiah. But you would be mistaken if you thought for a second that this was the very beginning of the story, because it's not. Um, you guys might be aware that Game of Thrones is starting tonight. Uh, it's coming back after a long hiatus. It's a big deal. Uh, I think they're saying like some like 19 million people are supposed to tune in and watch the show tonight. And it's sort of the beginning of the story, right? It's the beginning of a new season. Um, but uh, hopefully no one's going to tune into that thinking it's really the beginning of the story, right? There's like 10 years worth of, of shows that have come before that. Well, similarly, right here in this moment, this engagement with, with Philip, uh, it has a, a long history that preceded it. it. It goes back way more than just a few years or a few, a few TV seasons. Truthfully, this story reaches all the way back to before the foundation of the world. That's what Ephesians chapter 1 tells us. It says that God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Scripture tells us that God knew each and every one of His children, and He determined to save them long before anybody knew Him, before the foundation of the world. So if we really wanted to find the beginning of this interaction, if we wanted to trace the story back, we'd have to go all the way back there, and then we'd have to trace God's plan of salvation through the Old Testament up to Jesus, and then finally up to this moment. But we should probably skip ahead a little bit. We don't have time to do all that. So instead, let's go to the beginning of this book. Do you remember what happened in Acts chapter 1? Jesus is speaking to his uh, disciples, and he says that you're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and when you do, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, at the beginning of the book, we find out that God's plan all along for this salvation message was that it would go out, that it would spread out from Jerusalem, that it would go on to Judea and to Samaria, and ultimately to the very edges of the earth. But as we've read through this book now, we've been in it for like four months, and you may have noticed that they haven't gotten very far, right? Seven chapters, we've seen huge numbers of people coming to faith, thousands of people but there's not been a whole lot of movement. Nobody's gone anywhere outside of Jerusalem. And then in chapter 7, we read about how this terrible thing happened. Stephen, one of the very first deacons, is brutally murdered for his faith. And we looked at that story a couple of weeks ago. We talked about uh, what, that, what that was all about. But what we didn't get to look at was the aftermath. At the beginning of chapter 8, it says that after that event, after Stephen was killed, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So even as terrible as that thing was, God was able to use that 
to begin mobilizing his people for this mission. He, to send out, you know, those thousands and thousands of early Christians to finally start sending them out into Judea and into Samaria. That's what finally got them moving. And then we read in chapter 4 that Philip was one of those people. And he started first going to Samaria, which was a, a nation full of people that the Jewish people despised, a very unlikely place for anyone to go preach. And when he got there, he got a great reception. And now this week, if that wasn't enough, he's going even further. Now he encounters this man who is from Ethiopia. And before we talk about that, um, before we get into the, the specifics of who that guy was and, and what happened with him, I think it would be good for us just to look at, look at the situation. Look at this evangelistic moment for, for a second. Um, when, when Ambrose, my son, when he was really small, when he was like two years old, up in his room, we had one of those little tykes, uh, basketball hoops. You know what I'm talking about? The ones that are like this big and it has a little squishy ball. And sometimes... Before bed, we would goof around and we'd play on that thing. And, um, you know, it, it was kind of fun. But even back then, when I was like three feet taller than my son, I never had a layup as easy as the one Philip has in this passage. <laughs> this, is, this is the easiest evangelistic opportunity that has ever existed on the face of the earth, I'm convinced, right? Not only does the Holy Spirit tell him exactly what road to get on, not only does the Holy Spirit tell him exactly where to go, he points out the chariot and he says, walk over to that chariot. And when he gets there, this guy is literally reading the Bible out loud. He's reading Isaiah 53, one of the like, clearest prophecies about the Messiah from the Old Testament, and he's wondering what it means. I mean, that's what, you don't get much easier than that. That's probably the, the, best, the best chance at evangelism you're ever going to see. But... As amazing as that moment is, as, as much as we can see very clearly how God's providence kind of aligns and works out perfectly for Philip, uh, you know what's even more amazing? Scripture tells us that God still does this kind of stuff. Now, all throughout Acts, we, we've read about these amazing miracles, these unique miracles, things that only have happened once and probably aren't ever going to happen again in the history of the world. One of them happens at the end of this passage where it looks like Philip is just kind of like teleported or something. He just disappears at the end of the passage. But the Holy Spirit is still working like he worked with Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. That's what the Holy Spirit continues to do at this very moment. When, when Jesus came, he said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That his job was not just saving people, but also seeking after them. And later in, in Ephesians, when, when Paul is teaching us, when he's speaking to Christians, here's how he describes the process of your salvation and mine. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive with Christ. He says, you were dead, but then God showed up and he made you alive. In other words, Jesus has not stopped seeking and he has not stopped saving. 
And that call that he gave in the beginning of Acts to go to the ends of the earth, that call continues. It continues right up to this present day, right up to this present moment that you and I are in. Because the gospel is still on the move. The king is still on the march. He is claiming his people. He is bringing them home. He is bringing our souls from death to life, even right now. And I guarantee you, I promise you that in the same way that the Spirit led Philip with this message of salvation to a a man far off in the desert, He can also use you. He can use you if you'll just let Him. If this is how it really is, what we just read from Ephesians, what what Jesus said, if, if God is the one who saves people, then then our work is actually really small. The part that we contribute to someone's salvation is is really not that big. All we can really do is get those easy layups. Now, maybe they're not as easy as Philip's will be, but, but they're still easy because God has called His people from before the foundation of the world. He seeks and He saves the souls of the lost. He regenerates dead souls. He makes them alive. And if we're sensitive to His Spirit, if we pay attention, we can take part in that too. So let me just ask you that question. Think about that for a moment. How might God be working around you right now? Do you believe it's just a coincidence that God has placed you in Boston in this exact moment in time? Or or could it be that He's at work? Could it be that he has specifically placed you around certain people? Maybe your coworkers. Maybe your roommates. Maybe some of your family members. Or, or maybe even your children. Are there opportunities that God has given you where you can share the hope that you have in Christ? The answer is, yes, there are. There absolutely, definitely are. Just look around. The Spirit hasn't stopped moving. And that's the point. That's the the first thing. The Holy Spirit leads in evangelism. The second thing we see in this passage, though, is how the Lord uses His people to gather in His children from all the ends of the earth. He uses normal people like you and me to gather in people from everywhere, from every tongue and tribe and nation. So let's talk about this guy, this Ethiopian man in particular. Um, It's worth noting that we're eight chapters into this book, and up to this point, Luke has told us about a lot of different conversions. But they've mostly been stories where huge numbers of people have come to faith, right? It's, it's preaching opportunities. It's, it's thousands responding to a message that's preached. But up until this point, he has never told us about any individuals. Now Luke tells us in the beginning of both of his books that he's a historian, that he did a lot of research, that he gathered a lot of materials to tell this story to us. So you have to imagine that when he was writing this book, he had spoken to dozens, maybe hundreds, maybe even thousands, who knows, of of eyewitnesses. And all of these people that he spoke to would have been relatively recent converts. He would have had so many stories 
to sift through, so many opportunities to show us what it was like when people started coming to faith. But for some reason, he chose this story to include as one of the firsts. Why? Why this man? What's significant about him? Well, I think first it's because of what this man represents. See, he represents the further advancement of that Great Commission message, right? Here the Spirit is going even a further step out. First they went to to Judea, first they went to Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria. But now this man has, Philip has reached a man from Ethiopia. And back then, Ethiopia, it was considered like the edge of the world. It was thought to be like one of the, the furthest inhabitable places because it was so much hotter than it was in Jerusalem. But just a, a note, as you're imagining this in your head, it's not Ethiopia. It's not the same Ethiopia we have today. It's actually a slightly different area. It's a little like, I know most of you are educated in the American school system, so you have no idea where Ethiopia is anyway. <laughs> but it's, it's like slightly northwest. It's in the northern Sudan. Um, that's where, that's where the ancient Ethiopia was. Um, but it tells us, here's what Luke tells us about him. Um, there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, which is the title, not the name, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. So this is an African man who had some connection to Judaism, because he's on his way back from worshiping there. And what we can tell from this brief description is that this man was successful, that he was wealthy, he was riding in a chariot, he was well-educated, he's reading, um, and that he worked very closely with the queen of his nation. Um, now, it mentions that he was a eunuch, and, and that's not, that is an important detail because... Uh, Back then, it was a practice to have men castrated who were in the closest inner circle of, of service. That was both to, as a sign of, of loyalty and also kind of a, a sort of protection um, for her. Um, and while that might seem like a really bizarre detail, that may seem like a pretty high level of, of commitment to, to serve in that role, um, I don't think it's as far away from the way we think today. As, as it might seem at first. Because it's still pretty common in our society for people to choose uh, to forego a family and to forego having children or getting married in order to pursue their careers. And that's really what this guy had done. He'd essentially said, said he was going to make a lifelong choice uh, of celibacy in order to serve and advance in this court. Uh, so this guy, he's a eunuch in the court, which means he's got a high position of honor. Um, he, he's, a, he, he's respected, he's exalted in his society, but when he went to worship in Jerusalem, he would have had a really difficult time there. In Deuteronomy, when it prescribes worshiping in the temple, one of the things it says very clearly is that, that no one who is a eunuch can even enter the temple. That they're barred from entrance. They can't even go into that like outer court that's reserved for the Gentiles. And so while we can't know for certain what's going on through his mind, it seems very likely that as he's riding home from this experience that he probably would have been feeling a little bit frustrated. Maybe feeling unwelcome, like he didn't really belong amongst the people of God because he wasn't even allowed to enter into the temple. 
And it's at that moment, as he's reading through Isaiah, trying to understand, that Philip shows up. And Philip makes a kind of risky move. This, this Ethiopian man is, is well above Philip's social status. And, but for whatever reason, Philip, going with the Spirit's leading, he decides to engage him. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And this man says, how can I, unless somebody explains it to me? Now that little dialogue, do you understand? And he says, how can I, unless someone explains it? That happened 2,000 years ago, but not much has changed. Those kinds of interactions are still happening every single day. Uh, not too long ago, we had a guy come to one of our small group uh, studies at our house, and he had come with a friend, and he'd never really, he hadn't been in a church maybe ever or in a really long time. He told us that a few times he had picked up the Bible and he tried to read it. And like, like most people, like opens it to page one, starts trying to read through Genesis and gives it a good effort, makes it maybe halfway through the book of Genesis and then finally gives up. Did that a couple of times. But he said, I didn't really, I didn't really understand what was happening. You know, even now, if you pick up one of these Bibles, a lot of Bibles, like in the first page, they tell you don't do that. Like they'll try to redirect you to some other area uh, because it's hard to, to just pick up the Bible and understand it. Um, but in this moment, at our, at our study that night, we were able to talk a little bit more about the central message of Scripture. We were looking at the Gospels, and we talked about the cross, and we tried to explain to him how Christ had paid for his sins. And all of a sudden, this guy just was astonished. And what was really fun was the way the other group, people in the group started to react to that. You know, once it became clear that this guy really wanted to know, that he was really curious, everybody else started to pitch in. To, to offer some things that they, they had. Like people, people couldn't stop adding on to try to help this man understand the good news of the gospel. And, and here's why I'm sharing this story, because God has not only given his word. He speaks through his word, but he has also given his people to teach the word. He's given people to, to, to give instructions. And, and that's not only pastors. That's not just people like me. I'm talking about you. Each and every one of us have been entrusted with this task. Luke tells us in verse 35 that at that point, when he saw this guy reading from Isaiah 53, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. I wonder how we would do with that same opportunity. If somebody came to you and they had just opened the Bible to a random passage, would you be able to respond? If they said, what does this mean? Would you be able to, to get them to Jesus, to show them what this book was all about? Now, I've already told you that the Spirit works in salvation, that he's leading the way, that God is doing all the heavy lifting. But, but there is a role for you to play. In Romans, Paul says, how are they going to call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? See, God, he speaks through his word. He calls people by his spirit. But there is a role for you to play. There is a vital role for us to play in both understanding the Scripture 
and explaining the, the Word of God to, to those people that are in our lives. And if all Scripture is about Jesus, which it is, then we should be able to do this. We should be able to pick up the Bible from any point and get to Jesus eventually. In fact, I would say that, that is what sets Christianity apart from some of those kind of pseudo-Christian religions that are around, like the, the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses or like the Church of Christian Science or even like, even like the International Church of Christ. These, these groups, that they have their particular message, but they have to use very specific verses to try to convince you of it. But see, we have the whole counsel of God uh, to, to show the way. We have all of Scripture at our disposal, but if you're going to be able to use it, you're going to have to study it. You're actually going to have to read it. You're going to have to learn it. You're going to have to learn the narrative for yourself. You're going to have to drink deeply from the words of life if you want to be able to use it. So this man from this distant country, God had already chosen him before the foundation of the world. But God sent Philip to be the man who would lead him to faith. And as we think about that story, you need to realize that, that first, we are all the Ethiopian eunuch, right? We are all unlikely converts. We were all distant from him. We had no right to expect that he would save us. But some, at some point in our lives, he sent someone to come and declare the message to us. He sent somebody to come and preach the gospel so that we could understand it. And now, he sends us to go and do the same for other people. And I wonder this week, we are, we're heading up to Easter, I, I wonder what opportunities you might have to explain the Word of God to those who are lost in your lives. Or even if you can't do it, to, to invite them to a place like this where they can hear the Word of God explained. Now, I've been here long enough that I, I don't believe Easter is like a really special day in Boston. Um, you know, in some other parts of the country, you can expect like a huge attendance boost on Easter Sunday. Um, but I was talking to my, my buddy who was a pastor in Somerville, and he was saying, you know, this is the Easter of managed expectations. <laughs> right? We, we all have... It's spring break week. Everybody's out of town. I, I don't think people are, are clamoring to find a church to go to on Easter Sunday. But, but here's what is special still about this holiday if you're a Christian. This is our highest holy day. And I think we do have a unique opportunity this week to, to bring the people we love to hear the good news. And it could be an invitation as, as simple as this to say, hey, you know me, you know I'm a Christian. You know my faith is important to me. And you're also very important to me. And so we have this big holiday coming up, and it, I would really love it if you would join me, just so that I could give you a chance to hear what it is that I believe. That doesn't sound too hard, right? But I wonder how the Holy Spirit might use just that kind of invitation. The Lord can use you. The Lord uses His people to gather in His children from all across the earth. And that includes Boston. That includes us today. So, the third thing that we see in this passage 
First, we see how the Spirit leads in evangelism. Then we see how He uses us to bring in all His people. And finally, we see how He satisfies the deepest desires of our hearts. So here's a fact. We all need Jesus. It's pretty simple. We all need Him. Every one of us, each and every person in this room needs Jesus. But one of the reasons why we get shy, one of the reasons we don't share, even though we we might believe that fact, is one, because we feel like we're going to get rejected. Right? We, we, we don't want to be a nuisance. Maybe the people around us, they don't seem interested. Maybe it just feels awkward. We, we don't, we don't want to broach that, that subject. And maybe, deep down, maybe there is a part of us that doesn't really believe everybody needs Jesus. We see our friends and they seem like they're doing okay. And we say, well, maybe this person is just fine. Maybe their life is, is together. Maybe they don't need Jesus the same way I need Jesus. But this story is a really great reminder for us because it shows us everybody needs Jesus. And there's no exceptions. Every person on earth was created to know Him. And that means their life, our lives, are lacking apart from Him. This guy, this this man, he was very successful on the world's terms. He was powerful. He was wealthy. He had ascended into the highest levels of society. And yet, he was still searching. He was still looking for something in his life that was missing. He'd gone all the way up to Jerusalem from the Sudan looking for it. He was pouring over the scrolls of Isaiah, trying to find it. And again, we can't know exactly what it is. We don't know what his heart was just from the words, but but we could imagine. You know, maybe it was that he had found out that all that wealth and success that he had sacrificed for just hadn't panned out. Maybe he, he found that that he was longing for a sense of security that all the money in the world wasn't able to offer him. Or maybe he was lonely. Maybe he had hoped that his career would be enough or that his relationship with his peers or or with the the queen would satisfy him, but deep down he still knew that he, he wasn't known and valued the way he wanted to be. We don't know what it is. Maybe he was looking for a home, a place to belong, a place where he would be welcomed and his status wouldn't be important. I don't know what it was for him. But here's what I do know. Each and every person, each and every one of us, we are made with those kinds of deep desires. We are always looking for something. Purpose, peace, rest. We're looking to have an impact. We're looking for love. And the world always fails to deliver. And that's because we were made to know God. We were made to be known by God. 
And we were made to have all of those deep desires met in Him alone. See, we, all of us, every person on earth, we need Him to tell us our worth. We need Him to be secure. He is the only one who can truly be present with us in our times of loneliness and need. No institution, no achievement, no other human being is ever going to be able to fill that emptiness that we feel inside. We're always going to be searching until we find Him. It's like that, that famous Augustine quote, right? Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And here's what the eunuch heard that day. He had just gone to Jerusalem. He just found out that he was barred from entering into the temple. And Philip told him that in the same way he was kept from entering that temple, all of us are prohibited from entering the presence of God because of our sin. But Christ came to remove that division. Christ bore our sin on the cross so that we could enter not just into the replica of God's presence that that temple represented, but we could actually enter into the presence of God. That when he was reading like a sheep that was led to the slaughter, Philip told him that Jesus was the lamb that was led to the slaughter, that he was the one who died for our sins so that each of us could enter into the presence of God. So that we could rest in his presence once and for all. And when the eunuch heard that message, that in Christ he was welcome, that in Christ he could come into God's presence, that he could be a part of his family, it says that he believed on the spot and instantly he was baptized. And then Philip was gone. And that's the end of the story. We don't really know what happens next. We don't hear any more from him. We'll catch up with Philip 20 years later at the end of the book. But I wonder what this guy did after this moment. Really, I wonder if after having this interaction with Philip, he picked the scroll back up and started reading again. He was at Isaiah chapter 53, and if he kept reading, he would pretty quickly get to Isaiah 56. And with this new knowledge that through Christ's death on the cross, he was now welcomed in the presence of God, he would have come up to this text that says this. Isaiah 56, it says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. I think that's pretty awesome. What a a glorious promise to this guy that he would be given a name and a place in God's household and, and an eternal inheritance. What must that have meant for the longings of his heart? And that's where I want to leave you as, as we head into this next week. 
As we, as we get ready for Holy Week, as we prepare to celebrate the, the crucifixion and, and the resurrection, I want you to remember that Christ crucified is the most glorious message this world has ever known. There is no one in this world that can live without it. The Gospel is the only thing that can satisfy the deepest desires of your hearts, of our neighbors' hearts. You cannot be whole without it. Your your, your neighbor desperately needs it. And so do you. So I want to invite you right now, before we come to this table, um, to open your heart to how the Spirit might be moving. How He might be leading you this week. First, ask yourself those, those, those deep questions. What desires have I been trying to meet outside of Christ this week? Where do I need to let Jesus meet my deepest needs? And then, ask yourself, Lord, where might You be working in my life this week? To whom might You be sending me like You sent Philip? As you think about those things, I want to invite you to come up here to receive Christ's welcome. And then, and then when you receive it, don't just keep it. Go out and share it with the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, um, thank you for your power. Thank you for the reminder that, that we don't have to do this by ourselves. That you're at work that you do all the heavy lifting, that you welcome people from the ends of the earth, and even the most unlikely and most distant people are the people that oftentimes you can most easily and readily save. Father, help us to see our city with eyes of faith. Help us to see our friends and our relationships with the eyes of faith. Give us boldness and confidence. Lord, move us out from Jerusalem into the ends of the earth. Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.